now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Why don't we stand up and make our declaration this morning. So if you brought your Bible, please stand up. We're going to pray and make our declaration together this morning. Please hold your Bible high up in the air. Say this with me. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His Word. I believe His Word. And I live by His Word. Christ is my Master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. We have been talking about city transformation, the strategy for city transformation. We're going to take this forward this morning as we continue to develop this. Last Sunday, we did an introduction to city transformation. We'll take it forward today, and then I'll probably spend two more Sundays. Uh, but the following two Sundays, we will. Um, take this forward and, and, and talk about a plan for city transformation. Uh, just to recap, review, the reason we are talking about city transformation is because cities today are an important mission field. As we mentioned last Sunday, 200 years ago, just about 3% of the world's population actually lived in cities. Today, close to 50% and more of the world's population live in cities. And so cities are an important mission field. We cannot ignore it. We cannot just still pretend or say that, you know, to do missions, we have to go off to far off places. People are dwelling right here. Populations, great populations of people are right in these urban centers and we need to reach them for the kingdom of God. So cities are important. And... Uh, just to recap here, last Sunday as we talked about city transformation, uh, we differentiated it from uh, uh, social transformation or economic transformation. We said really when we are talking about city transformation, we are talking about touching the spiritual lives of people. We are talking about spiritual transformation of seeing people saved and brought into the kingdom of God. That is what we are referring to when we talk about city transformation. We talked about five uh, important facts or points to consider as we begin this journey on discovering a strategy for city transformation. We said, number one, that city transformation will take place when every believer is involved in city transformation. All of us have to be involved. You know, we can't just sit around and wait for some great crusade to happen that will shake our city or some, you know, uh, uh, individually come and do something. We, all of us, must be involved and must engage in seeing our city saved and discipled for Jesus. Number two, we said city transformation will take place when every believer, each one of us, is transformed, equipped, and empowered to engage in city transformation. We must empower each one, each believer, equip each believer to engage in city transformation. Uh, and and you know, not just hope that one individual will do it, but all of us, if we are equipped, we will be able to impact our city. Number three, we said city transformation will take place when every believer engages in city transformation, starting with their circle of influence. Each one of us has a circle, one or more circles of influence. Almost all of us who work, uh, who work in our work environment as is our immediate circle of influence. You are interacting with people there, maybe five, sometimes six days a week, 40, 60 hours a week. You're interacting with them. You're working with them. They are part of your circle of influence. And you can begin the work of city transformation right there. Or if you're in a school or in your college, you can begin 
to engage in city transformation right there in that circle, that sphere of influence. Some of us may have many circles of influence. You know, you're part of a sports club, so you play, you know, soccer with some people. You go to the gym in the morning, the same people come there. They're part of your influence, circle of influence. Whatever you do, we, we, we may have several circles of influence and we can begin to engage in city transformation right there. Amen? Number four, we said city transformation will take place when we combine, when we combine efforts into a strategic movement that is planned and executed with divine wisdom and leading of the Spirit. You know, it's not going to happen by chance or all of us doing things randomly. But if we have a strategy, we work together, combine our efforts with the wisdom of God, be very strategic about this, we can see our city affected for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather than leaving it to chance and letting it happen, you know, by accident, hoping it will happen by accident, we must be strategic about it. Be purposeful about it. And combine our efforts, we can affect our city. Number five, city transformation is primarily a spiritual effort. And therefore, we must begin by using our spiritual resources given to us in Christ. So, the transformation of our city is really a spiritual effort. We're talking about spiritual transformation. And so, we must use our spiritual resources, the weapons that God has given to us, to engage in city transformation. So we covered so much uh, this far last Sunday. This morning, I want us to go, take this forward. And I want to talk about tools for city transformation. Tools for city transformation. And then when we come back, a couple of weeks from now, when we, talk, when we continue this, we will talk about how to use these tools in a plan. In a plan that we could uh, put together for our city. So these are tools that we're going to talk about today, which every believer can use. All of us can use or exercise or engage in these tools. Now, when I say tools, it may not necessarily be the right words. But for a lack of a better word, I'm just using the word tools. But it is basically things that you and I can do, all of us can do, to engage in city transformation, to impact our city, to see souls saved and discipled in our city. And this is what we will talk about this morning. Number one. The first tool or first way to engage in city transformation is our own personal lifestyle. Is each one of us being salt and light right where we are. Jesus said this in Matthew the 5th chapter. And again, all of these are familiar verses. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, what's, what good is it? He said, you are the light of the world. Men do not light a candlestick and put it under a basket, but they set it out there for everyone to benefit. And a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So he said, you are salt. You are light. And we as believers in our places of influence must be salt and light. That's how city transformation begins. There's no point in saying, you know, this little light of mine I let it shine on Sunday. <laughs> the rest of the week, it's hidden somewhere in the closet. Nobody can see that I, I'm actually a light. There's no point. We're not going to affect our city that way. You've got to let your light shine, however small or big it is, throughout the week. Especially out there in the world where there is darkness. That's how it's going to begin. All of us, in our, through our personal lifestyle, begin to have influence. Jesus said the kingdom of God, and that the kingdom of God is you and me, in you and me. He said, the kingdom of God is like little leaven, which when it's put in a mix of flour, then it just permeates and pervades the entire mix. He said, that's all you need. A little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast you put into that dough, and it affects the entire dough. You and I are like that little leaven. We have the kingdom of God in us. The kingdom of God is within us. It's like that leaven. It's got to permeate. It will impact. It will influence the entire sphere of influence where we are in. He said in Matthew 13, verse 38, he talked about the wheat and the tares. And he said, the wheat, they are the good seeds, are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. As a son and a daughter of the kingdom, you are a good seed that God has intentionally placed in that wherever you are. 
He's placed you there. You may be among all the tares, but He's placed you there as a good seed of the kingdom. Amen? So city transformation begins with each and every believer beginning to influence their world as salt and light. Their sphere of influence. Now, a couple of things I want to stress here. You know, number one is there. Sometimes we, we take great pride. We, meaning the Christians, the church. We take great pride when one of, one of us becomes, you know, the CEO or the vice president or reaches some place of prominence out in the world. So, oh, look at that. You know, that believer or Christian, isn't that, he's a CEO, he's a vice president, he's a managing director, whatever. He's in some great place of influence, whether in, 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 in the corporate world, in the, in the in government or whatever. And we take great pride in it. But I think that's a mistaken idea. It's not enough for one of us to reach a position in a high place that by itself is of no value. The real value is, what do you do in that place? That's the question. It's of no value if there is a Christian up as a CEO or vice president or MD, and he conducts his business exactly the way a sinner does. It makes no difference. There is no light shining. There is no salt there. And we should be actually ashamed that one of us is in that place and is not shining that light there. Or we should take pride and rejoice and celebrate when one of us is in that place and is being salt and light. Is actually making a difference. Has the courage to stand against the grain. Has the courage to live by the word of God. Has the courage to stand for integrity and righteousness. That's when we have to celebrate. That's when, when somebody is being salt and light. Otherwise, he's just salt without flavor. Put him on the ground, walk on him. Sorry for being so rude, but that's what Jesus said. And it's pointless. So today we have, you know, it's funny. We look at church people, they say, you know, so-and-so is the CEO, so-and-so vice president. Not impressed at all. The question is, what's he doing up there? Is he having influence? Is he letting his light shine? Is he standing for righteousness? Or is he doing exactly the same thing that everybody else is doing? Which is most likely what happens. And that's why. Even though we have believers in high places, there is no influence of the gospel. So the real question is, what about the personal lifestyle? What is the life the person lives once you're up in a place of influence? That's what's going to make the difference for the kingdom of God. And not only up there, but wherever we are, even if you're, you're in a very small place uh, in the corporate ladder, even if you're just a high school teacher, whatever, your life speaks volumes. You are salt and light in that place. And you can have great impact and influence for the kingdom of God just by standing true to the word of God. And secondly, the other reason why having a personal lifestyle of integrity uh, in harmony with the word of God and living in righteousness is so important is because if we are going to see transformation of the world, if we are going to see our people delivered from demonic oppression, it's going to come through people who practice righteousness. If we live in repentance, in righteousness, in holiness, then we become the agents of God. And it also protects us out in the dark world. Because Paul talked about in seven places, in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, and also in Romans 13, 12, Paul talked about the armor of righteousness. He talked about the armor of light. You know, light, righteousness is actually a defense, a protection for you and me. When we're out in the world of darkness, walking in righteousness is your defense. It's your armor. There is no point in me trying to use the name of Jesus if I'm actually living in unrighteousness. Because I've dismantled the armor of righteousness that protects me. Amen? So righteousness, learning to walk in righteousness, our personal lifestyle of integrity is an armor for us. When we engage in city transformation. Number two, a second tool that all of us can engage in, a second way all of us can engage in, in city transformation is in communicating the gospel. In making the simple gospel plain and clear to people. 
sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we must have confidence in the message of the gospel. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verses 14 through 16, he said, I am a debtor to all men, to the Jews, to the Greeks, to the barbarians. I'm a debtor. I owe something to all of them. What is it? I owe the gospel. He says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel, the cross, the message of the cross of Jesus is the power of God that results in the salvation of people. Now here's where I think many of us make, we make a mistake again as a church, as a as God's people, we try to appeal to the mind and the intellect and we try to, you know, present some complicated stuff and in the, just to appeal to the mind. And in the process, we fail to present the simple gospel message. And no argument, no reasoning, as brilliant as it, as it might be, is as powerful as the simple gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Use reasoning if you must. Use arguments if you must. But at the end of the day, it's the gospel that's going to save somebody. But what has happened is the church has gotten into this whole uh, phase or this whole idea that, hey, if I'm present great arguments or praise, present great reasonings. I will appeal to the mind of all these great intellectual thinkers. That sounds good. They may look at it, but for them, it's just another thing to occupy their mind for some time. And then they go for the next argument and the next reasoning. So at the end of the day, we have failed to present the gospel and the Bible is so clear that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ that he is the only one who died for our sins, was buried and rose up again. And if we believe in him, we will be saved. That message has to come through for somebody to be saved. Amen? So we must, in our own ways, each one of us can communicate the gospel. All of us can share, whether it's to the maidservant who comes home, whether it's to you know, people you, you, you engage with in the workplace, wherever opportunity arises, all of us can share the simple message of the gospel and have faith in that message because that is the power of God that brings salvation to people. Amen? And go where the people are. And use, in a way, two ways to communicate the gospel. Jesus never said the gospel must be preached in gospel crusades. He never said that. Just share the gospel wherever you are. In whatever language is you're comfortable with. Amen? All of us can do it. Yesterday we had Abel do a stand-up comedy for us. We all laughed. This was at the Volunteers Appreciation Day. So it was yesterday. And we had a great time. Just, you know, he's making fun of all of us here. <laughs> and it was a great time. But you know the interesting thing? Uh, he's been about a year into this. And he, he, sa- he shared this today that he's had opportunities to talk, to entertain the gay community and some other consulate and some places where they would never invite a preacher. He goes in as a comedian. Makes them laugh. But he leaves them with truths to think about. Present the truth, some things to think about. Isn't that great? I mean, you could use, I'm not saying all of us should become comedians, but <laughs> what I'm saying is there are so many ways to get in contact with people. And once you're there, you do what you have to do, but you can bring in the truth in a way that they can get their attention. In a language they can understand. Amen? So, be open to work outside the mold. The only, gospel crusades and things like that, they are good. They have their place. But that's not the only way to communicate the gospel. We can do it in so many ways. And each one of us can be involved in bringing the message of Jesus Christ to people around us. We should do it. Point people to Jesus. 
The third tool or way that all of us can engage in, in city transformation is, to is the demonstration of love and power. The demonstration of love and power. You know, these are not two isolated things. You know, some of us think, okay, I'm a very loving person, so I just love people. Oh, that person is very spiritual, so they will pray for the sick and, you know, do all those powerful things. No, 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 no. These are integrated. These are integral part of our Christian life. Love and power go hand in hand. They're not disparate things. They go together. Matthew, the 14th chapter, the 14th verse talks about the Lord Jesus. He said, it says, he was moved with compassion. That's love. And he healed their sick. Demonstration of power. So all of us can move in demonstrations of love and power. Love people. Show them you care. Whatever way you want to feed the hungry. You want to clothe the naked. You want to help the homeless. Whatever way you want to demonstrate love according to the needs of people that you're, you're confronted with. Demonstrate love, but don't fail to demonstrate the power of God because you are God's instrument to release healing and power in that place. By you reaching out and praying, simple prayers, Deepak was sharing. By you reaching out, praying for people, God's power will flow through you. So through these demonstrations of love and power, we become agents of city transformation and all of us can do it. It's not just for some preachers to do it. Every believer can demonstrate the love and the power of God. Find a need, solve it. Demonstrate God's love and power in that place. Jesus is our ultimate model and we must do it as he did it. In John the 14th chapter, verses 8 through 12, there's been a while Jesus has been with his disciples and Philip says, you know, Jesus is talking about the Father and he says, you know, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Philip is with Jesus and he says, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father. I mean, we want to see this Father you're talking about. Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long that you haven't understood this? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has heard me has heard the Father. Meaning, I am the image, the exact representation of Almighty God. And here, if you see me, you've seen the Father. If you heard me, you've heard the Father. I speak only His words. It's a demonstration of love and power. Acts 1a, the purpose of Pentecost. The purpose of for the power of the Holy Spirit is to make us witnesses for Jesus through the demonstration of power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses to me, Jesus said. Number four. The fourth way that we can engage in city transformation is to prayer and intercession with fasting. We need to step this area up more and more. We, we've been on a journey, but we just need to step this up through prayer and intercession with fasting. That we engage in city transformation. Back in the Old Testament, where Solomon prayed in, at the dedication of Solomon's temple the first time, 2 Chronicles 7:14, a very familiar verse to all of us. The Bible says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will seek my face, will pray. And will turn from their wicked ways. God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. So whatever happens in the land. If there is pestilence. If there is famine. If there is the enemy attacking. Whatever wicked thing is happening in the land. This is what God said. He wants his people to do. And then he will heal the land. So when we see darkness all around us. In the land, when we see injustice and oppression, poverty, whatever, we see evil around us. What must we do? He said, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves, will turn from the wicked ways, will pray. He said, I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. So part of us seeing the transformation of our city is to engage in prayer and intercession with fasting for our city. Amen? 
Now, here's something I want us to bear about. I'm going to spend some time on this because whenever we start talking about city transformation and talking about engaging in spiritual transformation, sometimes we take this and then we run off into uh, intense spiritual warfare and then we go off on a limb on, uh, into areas we are not supposed to be going into because we don't correctly understand how God brings transformation. So these next two points are going to address that. I'll address it in greater depth at the church camp and, and perhaps on the Sunday that comes after that. We must understand that the primary reason why there is darkness all around us or the things that happen in our city, why they happen is because it begins with the words and the deeds of people in that place. What people do either gives God authority or demonic principalities and powers authority in that region. What people do. So before we start trying to before we think that we our need is to engage with principalities and powers, we must first deal with the words and the deeds of people in the place to bring about change. Look at this, these scriptures with me. I think they are important because many of us might take this whole teaching on city transformation, run off into spiritual warfare in the areas we're not supposed to. And so in order to set some boundaries here, I want to talk about in Isaiah, the third chapter, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. Why has the land fallen? It's their tongue, their words, and their doings, their deeds are against God. They to provoke the eyes of his glory. The look on his countenance witnesses against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul. For they have brought evil upon themselves. They have brought evil upon them. So it's the deeds, the actions of the people that either bring, bring the blessing of God or causes God to step aside and therefore permit the uh, domination of principalities and powers and the working of evil spirits in that region. They have brought wickedness among themselves because their words and their doings are against. So in prayer and intercession, the correct thing for us to do is first of all to repent on behalf of the sins of the people. Now they, don't, they won't go and repent. So the correct thing for us to do is to repent on behalf of the people. Say, God, our city, we repent for these sins. And then you list the sins, the sins of whatever, you know, injustice, the sin of corruption, uh, uh, whatever sins that you and I can identify in our city. We repent for the sins of the people. And we intercede for God to deal with the principalities and powers that have occupied over our city because of the deeds of the people. We intercede for God to move that out. Rather than you and I trying to tell the principalities and powers to move, we ask God to move. And I'll give, we'll, we'll look at scriptures further on that. And then... We ne- our goal is to establish the presence of Jesus through our praise, our worship, and our acts of righteousness. If they are doing what's wrong, we are going to do what's right. So how do you find, fight injustice? You do works of justice. You establish the presence of God in the city through praise, through worship. And you do what's right. You do righteousness. Are you with me so far? So our prayer and intercession is that God forgive the sins of the people. God, you move the powers that dominate the city because that's come in because of the deeds of the people to forgive us, Lord. And then we as a people of God, we keep our eyes focused on the Lord. We establish His presence. We establish His presence. We establish His presence through praise and worship and acts of righteousness. Amen? Now, let's pick a couple of issues 
and just address it from the word of God. I'm just speaking a few. We can go through a long list. Take for example idolatry. Suppose you're in a region that's given to idolatry. Every corner of every street there's idols everywhere. People are worshipping. How do you deal with that? The way you should not do it is go around saying, I curse the devil behind those idols. That's the way not to do it. The way not to do it is I bind the principality of idolatry over this region. Chill. Or as they say, chillax, man. <laughs> That's the way not to do it. It's not for us to engage the principality of idolatry. First of all, understand why did it happen here? Because the people's words and deeds. Secondly, who has the authority to move it? God has. So what must I do? Number one, I repent for the sins of idolatry for people. The words and deeds of you. I say, God, forgive me. I'm among a people where we are worshipping idols, God. Forgive the sin of idolatry. And God, I ask that you will break the principality, the power that dominates this entire region. Move it out of the way. God has the power to do it. I'll give you scripture for it. And third, God, I'm going to establish your presence. Let's praise God. Let's worship God. Let's establish the presence of God in this place. And I'm going to, I'm going to make sure there is no idol in my life. You say, Pastor, you have no idol. I mean, there can't be any idol. I'm not just talking about a physical object. What if you make something else an idol? It's the same. You're still an idolatry. So you live a life where Jesus Christ is Lord. There are no idols in your life. And if we as a community do that, we engage in the spiritual transformation of our region. Look at some scriptures there in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have. So the land's full of idols. There's idolatry. I'm in a region that's given to idolatry. How can I change that? Who's going to change it? Look at further down the chapter. Verse 18. But the idols he shall utterly abolish. Who? He. Not you. The idols he will remove. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day a man will cast away his idols. When God is exalted, when God rises up, man will put away his idols of silver, his idols of gold which they made, each for himself to worship to the moles and the bats, to go into the clefts of the rock and the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth. So question, how are you going to get rid of idolatry? Not by you binding principalities of idolatry. Not by you standing, walking around temples saying, I break the spirit. No, no, no. Chillax, man. What you need to do is repent for the sins of the people. What you need to do is pray to the Lord. Turn from your wicked ways. Make sure you have no sin of idolatry in your life. And you ask the Lord to heal the land. He will move things out of the way. When He is lifted up, people will turn. You establish the presence of God. Look at Isaiah 19 and verse 1. Isaiah 19 verse 1. The burden against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. Why will the idols shake? Because of the presence of the Lord. Not because you are doing something great, but because of the presence of so our responsibility is to establish God's presence. Be a people who exalt Jesus. Be a people who praise. That's why praise and worship is so important. That's why prayer and intercession is so important. Why? When we establish the presence of God, the idols will fall. So that's where prayer and intercession comes in. That we intercede for God. 
to move in our land. Take, for example, the issue of corruption and injustice. I'm just doing two examples now. Corruption and injustice. You know, when you see corruption, right, from top down, bottom up, inside out, everything is corrupt. Without 10 rupees, nothing's happen. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Without money, things won't happen. Injustice, oppression, the land. What should I do? How do I deal with it spiritually? Does it mean I bind the principality of injustice, bind the principality and power of oppression? How do I deal with it? The right way to do it is A, repent of the sin. Identify the sin of the land. Repent of it. Number two, ask God to move it out. Number three, you establish God's presence and you work righteousness where there is injustice. Because understand, what establishes, what gives injustice and oppression the right to stay in the land, the works and the deeds of the people. So we need a people who will be doing exactly the opposite of that. Go to Isaiah 59. I'm spending time on this here so that we understand how we have to engage in the spiritual transformation of our city. Isaiah 59, verses 1 to 3. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. It's not like God is not interested in saving our city. Nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquity, the sins of the people, have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. See, what we've done is what causes, causes God to move out of the scene and enable demonic powers to establish themselves with the land. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. Skip down to verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. So God is seeing in the land. He's seeing what's happening. He's displeased with that. What does he do? Verse 16. He saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. In the midst of injustice, oppression, and corruption, what is God looking for? He's looking for intercessors. Somebody will pray to him for that. Say, God, I see all this wickedness. Would you do something about it? Forgive our sins, oh God. Lord, you bring healing to this land. God looks for that. And his arm will bring about salvation as we intercede, as we stand before him. Amen? So that is what we must do as we engage in prayer and intercession with fasting for our land. Number five, the last way, the last tool that we can all be engaged in is to engage in ground level spiritual warfare. Engage in, in using the weapons God has given to us to undo the works of darkness. People are oppressed. People are in bondage. People are afflicted in their minds and bodies by demonic spirits, by evil spirits that infiltrate this, this uh, earth's environment. And God has given us authority and God has given us weapons to deal with these powers. So, some, so there are people who are held back because of demonic powers from coming to know Jesus Christ and, and are just being oppressed, being troubled by demonic powers. And the Lord wants us to use these weapons to bring uh, freedom and liberty to them. We know about this in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. Paul writes, he says, that Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have authority over the works of darkness. And so we minister to individuals. We use our spiritual weapons to set them free from demonic influence and oppression and possession. That's exactly what Jesus did. And he cast out the spirits with his word and he healed all who were sick. He ministered that way. So that's the kind of spiritual warfare we engage in. You see a community of people in darkness. You deal with the oppressing spirits there. You, you, you know, whatever the individuals are being troubled with, you deal with those things with the authority God has given to you and me. Now, I want to just set some boundaries here. I just want to share some important boundaries here. As we talk about spiritual warfare, 
I want to thank our brother Victor there. He shared with me an important book from uh, John Paul Jackson, Needless Casualties of War. And it's just, just a great book. And I encourage you to read that. Where he talks about some of the wrong ways to do spiritual warfare. And I just want to share some of those thoughts with you here. As we engage in warfare, spiritual warfare for our city and for people in our city, we must be careful not go, to go off on a tangent. You know, truth has boundaries on both sides. And it's possible that you go off on a tangent, either on the left or on the right. And when you go off on a tangent, on the left or on the right, you're no longer in the truth. You're in error. Because truth has its boundaries. So many of us begin in the truth and we go off on a tangent and we're no longer in the truth because we are now outside the middle ground of truth. We're in error, actually. We may have started off with the truth but gone off on a tangent. And so I want to set some boundaries here as far as spiritual warfare is concerned, as far as you and I pray for our city and, and, and engage in spiritual warfare. Here are some pitfalls to avoid in spiritual warfare. Number one is to avoid being overly concerned about what the devil is doing. We are not here to worship, magnify, glorify the devil. While we are aware of what the devils are doing and powers of darkness are doing, that is not our focus. Some people, if you listen to them in the course of the day, they spend more time talking about the devil than about Jesus. There's a devil here, there's oppression here, there's a... Oh, it's like, are they believers or what? You know. They are so obsessed about strongholds and principalities and powers and they forget about the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Avoid that spiritual pitfall. Our strength comes not from being demon conscious, but from knowing our God. Very simple. So focus on worship and intimacy with God. And you've heard me say it many times, but need to say it again. Focus on intimacy and worship of God. While we talk about the powers of darkness are doing, that's not our focus. Number two. Avoid being overly concerned about spiritual mapping. You know, in the 1990s, there was such an explosion of books and materials on spiritual warfare. Good stuff. I mean, you know, it's nice that people are recognizing that in order to win souls, you've got to also deal with the powers of darkness. All that's very nice. And uh, there were all these books on spiritual mapping. So much knowledge, information coming out of the body of Christ. And so what happened? We began with the truth that to win souls... You need to deal with the powers of darkness because the God of this world has blinded the minds of people. We began with the truth. That's a Bible truth. But then when you go off on a tangent, we start running off into things like spiritual mapping. And, and then we spend all our time writing maps, drawing maps, and not practicing the first five things we talked about. You don't bother about your personal life. Don't bother about communicating the simple gospel. Don't bother about works of love and demonstration. Don't bother about prayer and intercession. You're busy drawing maps. In this colony, in this area, there are four, I don't know what, things happening here. That here there's a principality of this, there's a principality of that, this, that. We're busy with all this. And it becomes such a preoccupation. At the end of, the end of it, you ask, what happens? We get so proud with our maps. We get so proud with all the information we've collected. We, we, we get proud with our knowledge that we've assimilated. But the real question is, how many souls have been saved? The real question is, has the city changed? So as we talk about city transformation, and the importance of engaging with the powers of darkness, to see souls saved, there are boundaries. Now, it's a good thing if you study a little bit about the city and say, oh, this is when the city was founded. This was the history about the city. Um, these are some of the major things that happened in the city. That's okay. It's, it's, it's good to know about these things. So then you can begin to pray strategically. But to go beyond that into all of these unnecessary details, I think the devil is having a nice time keeping us all busy drawing maps. Looking at every rock and looking if there's a devil behind the rock. Are we wasting our time? 
and not doing the things we're really supposed to do, which is to bring the kingdom of God in. So, this only just getting into, over, over going overboard on all of this is just a distraction. It unnecessarily consumes our time. Yes, get some information about the city. Okay, how did Bangalore City start? What's about this area? Fine, I know this. I know this is the major, some of the major problems in the city. Read the newspaper, you'll get all the information. That's good. So at least you know what are the issues in the city. I'm not saying don't do that. We need to know that. But don't go beyond that. Going overboard in this thing called spiritual mapping, it's a distraction. Because you look back and you look at church history and say, okay, fine, you, people have done spiritual mapping, all these cities. Question is, has the city changed? You got these maps, great. How many lives been saved? Has the city been discipled? You will know it by its fruit, not by the knowledge. Amen? And the last pitfall to avoid, number three. All right, let me just go back here. I'm just going to quote from that same book, Needless Casualties of War by John Paul Jackson. He says this, he says, When we pay too much attention to evil spirits, we end up paying homage to the strength of demonic powers rather than to the power of Jesus. Satan would willingly lose every battle to us so long as he could successfully steal the attention that belongs to God. Number three, the last point, pitfall to avoid. Avoid trying to bind, rebuke, shout at principalities and powers over a region. It is God who moves them out of the way. You know, some of us, uh, some people, get involved in spiritual with prayer, intercession, all that's important. Praying for people, bringing deliverance, healing, and casting devils, all that's important. All that's very valid. But then we begin to go from there into some un unnecessary areas. We begin to think that we can deal with principalities and powers ourselves. And we begin to, you know, say, I bind Satan in the name of Satan. Listen to me. And um, start binding. And look, you know, all that sounds nice, especially when you've got the microphone. But what's the fruit? What's the fruit? God said, if my people will seek my face and pray, I will heal their land. He'll do it. I'll heal their land. We engage in ground level warfare. When you find devil cast it out, when you see people oppressed, deal with it. That's the way Jesus ministered. We do it. We engage in spiritual warfare in that sense. But don't go overboard on this. So refrain from trying to get into spiritual warfare in the wrong way. Especially when you're trying to shout at the Satan. He's been around a long time. A lot of people have shouted at him. <laughs> He's used to it by now. You shouting at him is not going to make any little bit of difference. So you might as well talk to God who listens. To you. There are scriptures on that, and we won't get into it now. We'll probably talk more about it at the church camp and later on. But I want to read to you from, in closing, I want to read to you a little section here from that same book. Uh, and he quotes from Leanne Payne in her book on listening prayer. I think it's nice. It's good for us to understand. Thinking themselves about intercessors. She writes about those intercessors who bind demonic principalities and powers over cities. She called this an extreme and dangerous practice. He says, thinking themselves to be intercessors are extraordinary. The only ones doing spiritual warfare, they were actually practicing the presence of demons. They had drawn the attention of dark powers toward the body of Christ in that place by praying to them and through pridefully seeing themselves as binding them. As it turned out, they became a channel through which a principality and power, a ruling spirit over that city, descended into our midst. Needless to say, we were brought into a spiritual conflict of unusual proportions, one that need never have occurred. These folks, thinking they were intercessors, had merely succeeded in informing the powers of darkness in, over, and around that city that we were coming. In listening to them pr proudly relate all their hair-raising tussles with dark powers, I realized they take this gift every place they go. The way they pray assures that, some, that the people are involved with all 
involved with will have dramatic and terrible confrontations with evil powers and that some of them will come under serious demonic deception. This is dangerous error. So we could actually be inviting a lot of trouble to ourselves in the name of spiritual warfare if we start trying to deal with principalities and powers. God said he will take that out of the lands. Amen? So in case you've done it, so pastor, I already rebuked the devil 27 times today. <laughs> Satan and, and tried to bind principalities and powers and all that. Okay, just say, God, I'm sorry. I'll operate in my realm of authority, which is to deal with things down here on earth. It's through prayer, repentance, works of righteousness, establishing the presence of God, the praise and worship. I'll focus on that. And God will take care of the rest. Amen? So five things all of us can do to engage our, in transformation of our city. Number one, it's a personal lifestyle. Number two, share the simple gospel of Jesus. Number three, demonstrate works of love and power. Number four, pray and intercede for the people. Number five, engage in ground-level warfare, meaning exercise your authority to set people free. All of us can do it. Amen? So now with these tools, with these things that we can do, we want to develop a plan. So what are we as a church going to do in our city? And we'll talk about that when we come back to Sundays for Now. Amen? We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.